the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm talking to Greta McNeilis, a GIS and BIM manager for assets at the Brisbane Airport Corporation. Now, over the last few years, and probably longer than last few years, the Brisbane Airport Corporation has invested in digitising their assets and requiring BIM deliverables on their new built asset projects. But before I talk to Greta, I need to talk to you about our exclusive podcast sponsor, NBS. So NBS, through their key product, NBS Chorus, is revolutionising construction specification through cloud-based collaboration. NBS Chorus integrates seamlessly with your building information model in ArchiCAD and Revit. Now, this increases productivity and reduces risk of conflicting information deliverables. Now, to learn more about NBS, head over to their website, www.thenbs.com.au. Now, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us today, Greta. No problem. Now, firstly, Greta, we know each other quite well, but for those that are out there listening across the globe today that aren't aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm the GIS and BIM manager at Brisbane Airport Corporation and I've been there for about four years. Um, My background is GIS. uh, So I came from a GIS technical background from the oil and gas and mining sector. I was looking for an opportunity to kind of step up and I saw the ad advertised and it was the first time that I'd applied for a role where you actually like managed a team. So I was really fortunate enough to get the role um, and I've been yeah, out there managing the GIS and BIM team for, for the four years. So it must be an interesting uh, transition from the oil and gas and mining industries into airports. Now, you know, one's extractive <laughs> and, and one's just accepting, you know, instead of dealing with uh, commodities, you're dealing with other commodities and humans and, and heaps of people transiting them through these spaces. Now, we're well aware of Brisbane Airport because we live here and, you know, we're, we're, we're well aware of, you know, the challenges and, and how Brisbane as an airport is growing and the, and the passenger numbers are going through the roof you know, we all experience that when we're trying to travel and getting stuck up in the air and peak hour traffic. But can you explain to the listeners that are unfamiliar with the Brisbane Airport, because this is a global podcast, some of the details on the scale and the, and the services you provide. Now, from my perspective, I know that there's a massive landholding, but then mm-hmm. it's not just an airport. It's every, It's more than just an airport. Yeah, that's true. So it. the interesting thing is you, you think you know what airports do um, because – you know, particularly in in the mining sector, you travel a lot. So you're in and out of the airport. Um, We'd seen, you know, it grow with the train link coming in. Uh, We'd seen it grow in the region. But until I not only just accepted the role at BAC but ended up working there, it it was like um, the land of Oz. Once you see behind the curtain, you just have no idea about, um, you know, how much happens out at Brisbane Airport. The I think the thing that surprised me the most is so Brisbane Airport 
has a large land holding, so we're about 2,400 hectares. Um, we've got a 24-7, seven-day-a-week licence to operate and we're right against Moreton Bay. So on the eastern seaboard of Australia, both Sydney and Melbourne also have curfews. The most interesting fact is over a 24-hour period, 24,000 people are on airport to work for employment. So if we were a city in Queensland, the state of Queensland, we would be about the 13th or 12th largest city uh, up there with like Bundaberg and Rockhampton. Uh, you know, if we, you just pop, if the population is the people who are on airport to work, that doesn't even include the passenger numbers moving through. So it's, um, you know, it's an incredible place to work. We have a lot of obviously aviation related industries, but now we've also obviously branching out to other industries. We've got DFO out there, the shopping precinct, we've got the entertainment precincts and um, yeah, so so the airport is just, yeah, an amazing place to work. So you think an airport is just the international domestic terminal and the, and when I started, we were still building the second parallel runway. So, you know, opening a new runway was a very exciting time to be working at the airport. But um, we're opening an auto mall, uh, which will be very exciting. So, yeah, there's a lot happening out there. It, it, and that's the thing. It's not just about airport activities. You know, the number of the, – the, the, the land holding of BAC is, is significant and seeing the amount of warehouses that are out there that want such close proximity to the airport – and it's actually all Brisbane Airport Corporation land that they're building on. So it's it's not just a small thing. Now, that kind of leads to the, the reason why we're talking today and the reason why I take such a strong interest in, in what the Brisbane Airport Corporation has done to date is because of the substantial challenges that you face as an asset owner. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it's not just like owning a standard building. It's not You've got a very strong mixture of built assets but also infrastructure and unless you start talking to, you know, transport and main road here in Queensland or um, transport infrastructure in New South Wales or down in Victoria the like, there's not many clients or asset owners that have such a strong mix of asset owner or asset types which makes it very complex. What was the driving factor or, you know, there's probably a myriad of them because we all know there's so many benefits to implementing BIM but... Why, why did Brisbane Airport Corporation decide to implement BIM across all of their built assets? Yeah, great question. So the airport took a really broad brush to um, not just BIM but also GIS. So they went to their board um, and said, we want to run two parallel strategies – two parallel five-year strategies, one the GIS strategy and the other one the BIM strategy because they acknowledged that although they were receiving as-built data on most of their new assets, unfortunately not all, the data that they were receiving, although acceptable for the day and time, it was 2D CAD, it, when you maintain an asset for the life of an airport, you need to build a legacy for the future. So they realised that just like all technology step changes, data is also a step change that you have to go through. So when they looked at the 2D as-built data that was coming in and they looked at where they wanted to take the airport, they invested in these two strategies, GIS and BIM, over five years um, to basically ensure that when the new runway came on board and the two terminals and all the challenges that will be faced with running an airport in 
20, 30, 40 years, that they were business ready today. So um, the team basically created a couple of extra roles, they restructured, um, got the endorsement from the board and that I think was really championed by our general manager, Krishan Tangiri, and he, you know, so he strategically drove the company to the, towards this investment. You know, that's kind of where we are, are at today. So for the listeners that have, have been listening in and tuning in for the last 32 episodes um, of this series, they'd be really familiar with what BIM means or they may not. They haven't understood what we've been talking about. But you've just introduced a new term and, I've, and, I, and it didn't strike me straight away when I introduced your role or title. But for, for the listeners out there that actually have, not ever, have never heard of GIS before, what would be your description of what GIS is and what it means and how it's used? So... Basically, the easiest way to introduce GIS is if you've ever used Google Maps, you've used GIS. So it's modern day cartography. It's basically a map that's digital that has attributes behind it. So why I was um, part of the reason when I threw my hat into the ring to apply for the work at BAC for BIM was because I came from a GIS background. So I understood data, spatial data and what data enrichment is and, and how it can be leveraged as, a, as an asset, not just as a complementary data set. So uh, GIS stands for Geographic Information Systems and basically if you've ever had to, um, you know, use location services to get from A to B, then you use, you, you've used a GIS. So GIS is not something that most people in the building sphere would be so familiar with, but it's 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 basically the the, the foundation for uh, infrastructure projects. Yeah, and this is a really interesting space that I'm watching. So traditionally, the GIS stopped at the building footprint, mm. and BIM or an architect's model would begin at the edge of that building footprint and there might be a small overlap for underground services or whatever it may be. But now as technology is evolving, watching the GIS software and capabilities really lending itself to coming indoors and coming into buildings and managing building footprints has been quite interesting. So traditionally... GIS was only ever two and a half D. It was never true three D, and BIM absolutely is true three D. But now those those rules and that technology is getting closer and closer, and that's been quite interesting to watch because that's only really happened within the last couple of years inside BAC. We've only been able to join those two things together uh, in the last two years. Yeah, that's some um, sort of an achievement, really, because of the fact that uh, the world isn't flat. And, and BIM functions as if the world is flat and the, there's some really exciting work that was done by John Mitchell through Building Smart Australasia about talking about how BIM can interreact or interrelate with GIS systems and, you know, to, to actually come up with a solution um, to actually get them to work, considering 100 metres isn't 100 metres depending upon where you measure it and, and that's something that you'd know a lot about but that might blow a few people's minds, it blows mine. But that... Would be that that's a challenge in terms of how you can correlate uh, a round system, which is GIS, which GIS creates, or a global sphere, which is out of shape, with with a flat world that BIM brings. And what else was interesting? So we've got 
We've got the two five-year strategies running. We're introducing BIM, we're introducing GIS, but we're not only introducing building information modelling, we also have to deal with all the civil projects and civil templates. Um, So again, we had to prioritise what were we going to focus on first and inside buildings, inside the terminals in particular, was absolutely our, you know, where our pilots were. But since then we have moved in. So if you're running a civil project at BAC, you may be returning your data in a 3D civil BIM package. And, and that's what the expectations would be. So it's it enables you then to kind of keep on top of things. So I think that's really, really important. Now, I dabble across, there's so many kind of exciting things that I know that, that you've done as a team. But I think one of the things that apart from trying to save time and money uh, that as a, as a saving from BIM or, you know, how can we do this quicker? How can we do this more efficiently? One of the things that we, you know, we talked about before we start started recording today was, was the parallel runway project. Now, for me, seeing that driving, driving into park before I fly out for, for interstate meetings, you know, quite frequently before this pandemic hit, it was exciting to see, you know, these mountains of sand and creating these geotechnical marvels essentially compacting the earth there. But apart from that kind of most unique geotechnical work that enabled the construction of this parallel one-way on a on essentially marshlands, can you just talk about the process that BAC went through or your team went through with regards to capturing, you know, taking the information which would have been the design data or as constructed data and actually utilising that for... Uh, safety. Do you want to share us the the journey that you had in which you were able to capture or utilise that information, and using digital processes to to create safe a safe work environment? So the the most interesting catalyst for change management that happened for from the parallel runway project for directly for our team was we had been promoting BIM, so we had been running BIM pilots, terminals inside the terminals. We had been talking about visualisation, but it was something that we acknowledged was an opportunity, but we didn't really have a, a catalyst for a project to build visualisation around. Through our community engagement with the rest of our stakeholders inside the business, we were promoting what we were doing, um, particularly around car parks um, and, you know, external buildings to the terminals. And the operations manager uh, engaged us and we started talking about building an engineeringly accurate model, visualisation model of the new airside space that was coming when the new parallel runway, Brisbane's new runway, was to be opened. So 40 years ago when they designed Brisbane Airport land, they knew then that in essentially 2020 that two two parallel runways would exist and they're two kilometres apart, which means they're run as completely separate runways. So they could be 200 kilometres apart Mm -hmm. Completely separate runways, completely separate air traffic control teams managing those two completely separate runways. But the airfield offices are run as a single team. So we have an active construction site that you can't drive around and we have new safety protocols that are coming that change the airside lighting driving patterns. Uh, what we were able to do was we were able to partner with Spatial Media and they took our engineering data, our two, 
2D and 3D as builts and all of our BIM information that we had at the time. And they went out and they basically built a visualization model that includes a working runway. So how it is, is I'm the instructor, you're the learner. You are sitting in a digital Hilux ute. You've got a steering wheel, you've got the pedals. And as you drive around, you experience different airside events that will train you um, in the new airside configuration. So that could include a changing of the lighting configuration because it changes from day to night and weather conditions. Also um, planes landing from a different direction and just basic safety things like foreign object debris. We It's so realistic that the stars are in the correct location and we've got footage of rain events happening and when we showed the airside team like in the drive side simulator they were like it's actually like being in a real rain event because being on the bay when it rains it can get pretty torrential out there so this was a really great opportunity to introduce visualization to BAC it addressed the challenge of retraining a team that had no opportunity to, to drive on the active construction site that was the the new runway. And we also had new trainers, you know, new SI drivers coming in. So we didn't just have to train the existing staff, we also had to train up the new staff. And traditionally that's one instructor in the car with a passenger who's learning, but because of the driver's side simulator, you're, you get in, you can teleport to the part of the runway that you want and it's a big runway to drive around. Um, and then you can then do your your training scenarios. So it really empowered people to self-serve and uh, connect with the runway and the new configuration. The return on investment was first and foremost the safety of all staff. So we also had the fire brigade come in and they also did the driver side simulator training to familiarise themselves. So safety first, uh, time saving, the teleport, you know, it's – it can take 30 minutes to drive down to a particular part of the runway. That way people could just teleport there. The changing weather conditions and also that self-service environment, it gives people the chance and the opportunity to go through at their own pace, at their own time, um, you know, and do their own upskilling and their own learning. But see, that 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 platform as well wouldn't just be for patrolling and checking things. It could even be used for you know, baggage handlers or, you know, guys that are driving or, you know, anyone that's on airside in a, in a vehicle of any type could, that, that could be expanded across that. The training simulations could be set up for all of them. So it's, it's actually a massive st- starting point to assist BAC, you know, have very high level of standards and training. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's where BIM and 3D models and visualisation um, and, this, this enriched data changes the way traditionally things are done. So one driver, one car, one passenger. The driving simulator and the visualisation and immersive model allows people to really feel the experience of driving airside at Brisbane Airport from the safety and the security of a six by eight meeting room. Like it's, it's a, it's a no brainer. Yeah. It's, and it's not just, we're not the only people doing that. We actually have nine simulators on campus. So there's a shipping simulator. There's an air traffic control simulator. Um, There are some Qantas simulators. So 
um, the Fire Brigade, they Queensland Fire Brigade, they have a simulator. So it's the, it's the expected experience of training staff. So although we believe that we're one of very few airports that have simulators, it's return on investment, safety and time-wise knowledge transfer and knowledge capture is well worth the initial investment. And it's also if other industries are doing it, working at Brisbane Airport Corporation, we need to, you know, be setting the world-class standard of the best way to operate our airport. How many times are you going to be in a situation where that training situation is going to occur in real life where oh yes, the, the weather pattern's working the right way or a plane might be coming in a different way? There's only certain ways a plane can land but people aren't out there in that environment specifically around those timings. So it just means it can set up unlimited scenarios for people to to be tested and trialled on. Now that's kind of I guess the safety side of it and then moving back into the building side of it, the challenges of managing constant upgrades of assets and extensions and, and replacement of, of things. Now, there's an interesting this, – uh, this could be an interesting question or it could be a very dull one, I don't know, depending upon your experiences. But I'm, I'm on the fence and, and later in this series I'll be talking to Kelly Cohn who, who's part of um, ClearEdge 3D, which is a, a smart software with 3D laser scanning and the like. But I'm on the fence with the benefits of laser scanning at the moment until I'm convinced to sit either way. It's a hard place to be sitting on the, on the fence. I don't like sitting on the fence. But laser scanning from Brisbane Airport Corporation's perspective in terms of capturing the existing asset or as constructed asset, how is that benefit or what's the processes you've adopted or what would be your experience, I guess, with regards to laser scanning? So as an owner-operator, laser scanning is an incredibly valuable data output for us. Mm -hmm. So not just the point clouds that are produced during the laser scanning, which are so engineeringly and survey accurate that it gives us certainty in spaces that in some parts of the terminals haven't been, um, you know, upgraded or touched in 20 or 25 years. And then the modelling, the 3D models that we also um, had generated for both of our terminals are crucial for not just providing to a person who's coming in to do a construction site and, and do a refit or a rebuild, but for also for our stakeholders. So when people look at transferring through the airport, we can provide them with that experience. We can test queuing times. We can test the building sustainability. You know, we can work within our 3D models for, to answer so many questions that come up that are outside a pure construction question of what will remain after the refit, what will be demolished and what are the spaces. So for us, we see our terminals as the jewels in BAC's crown. They are our most important buildings to us and they live front and centre in the minds of our passengers going through our terminals. So by having these 3D models that are incredibly detailed and incredibly rich, we are able to really bring those that experience of being in the terminal into any meeting room that we are in. And, you know, that that's a powerful engagement tool. So 
We're really proud of our 3D models. So we partnered with Land Solutions, which is a small Brisbane company here, and they have just absolutely kicked it out of the park. So our laser scanning and 3D model um, project, we actually won the Oceanic Spatial Industry Award for that, those uh, 3D models for that project. So not only have they been acknowledged within like within our, you know, our world as um, helpful and being useful and necessary. Yeah. But they're actually award winning in a spatial industry award awards. So up against spatial projects from the likes of um, government departments and CSIRO. So not even the airline industry, across industry. So we were really, really proud to win that award. And we're really proud of how often our 3D models just get used all the time. Um, our comms team use them. You know, we, we get workplace health and safety questions asked. You know, we're able to do so much so that $1 of investment, for you know, that we've put in it, the return on that is just continuous because our terminals are living living buildings. They are changing con- continually and they will be changing into the future as the regulation for body scanners come into the flight protocols. So currently... You may recall when you fly to America, you step into the full body scanners. Well, the Australian government required all airports like Mount Isa Airport and Bundaberg Airport and us and all airports to have body scanners and that was supposed to be done by 2020. COVID disrupted that but did and delayed it but has not cancelled it. Yep. So that's called the security upgrade and you can imagine that security upgrade touches almost every, you know, every inch of, of our passenger process. Well, it's a key part of walking through the airport once you've uh, checked your bags and, yes. you know, the those body scanners are, you know, what would you say probably 200 to 250% of the size of uh, of the normal uh, metal detector or the, the detector that we walk through when we, when we walk through the terminal. So mm-hmm. it changes all of that. It does. It does. And but a lot has changed. So check your own baggage. Uh, that has emerged in the last three years um, from a traditional checking counter. So all of those small... Reconfigurations, yeah, you could say. Yeah, and not just that, but we don't just have to look at the passengers going through those experiences. We have to figure out how to maintain them, how to clean around them, how to, uh, you know, replace what needs to be replaced. So all of that can be used inside those 3D models to manage the asset... So let's say we scan a comms room in the terminal. We've got it scanned. We may not touch that comms room for 10 years, but it doesn't matter. You can sit at your desk and you can self-serve into the 3D model and have a look at what's happening inside that comms room without the time requirement of driving to the terminal, going airside and then going into that comms room. So self-service is a huge return on investment for our change management and, you know, just – Connecting people with data, that's, you know, that's the other big outcome of those 3D models. And I guess the, and the key thing to note is that the BAC asset team is located about four or five kilometres away in a separate building from the actual terminals. So we have uh, about 11 offices across campus. Yeah. So the facilities team is actually located at both of the terminals. Yep. And We've also got some the other side of, of the runway as well. So we are yeah we're dispersed we've got team. yeah we are a dispersed team and um, but we're not a large team. So all up there's only three hundred and fifty people working at Brisbane Airport Corporation. So for the asset and the size of the asset that we run, it's not a large team. Highly efficient and 
and the fact that you can use that model instead of having to travel yeah. to another area of the of the site, mm-hmm. it, you can <laughs> demonstrate really quickly how you can save money in in digitising your assets. And the other critical thing to remember about that self serve experience is, well, how do you train? facilities guys or project managers or the business on these new tools. How complicated is that software? So we use Navisworks Freedom, which is a free software that will take the models and very easily allow people to engage with those models. So this is not specialised desktop software that the change management or this upskilling of your staff in it is a one-day course. It's a 30-minute back and forth with one of our BIM team and a group of, you know, half a dozen people, whoever can make it on the day. And that's it. So once they get there, if they want to, you know, have more bells and whistles, the interface is really easy. And that is a critical experience because it doesn't matter how good your data is. If the skills required to view that data is immense, then you're you're already behind the eight ball, as it were. So you want people's experience to be as easy as booking an online concert ticket or internet banking or, you know, Googling from where here to the nearest Bunnings. So it's really important that the data and the technology and the end user experiences all marry up to be efficient, simple and cohesive. Yeah, so 100%, no point in having the information if it's not accessible. Correct. And without having that platform or a platform in place that enables a person that is low tech to interact with it, then essentially you're missing out on opportunities. Very much so. And you don't want to frustrate people because then they have no willingness to want to interact with your data because it's just frustrating and they can't find the answers anyway. It's easier to just do it the way we've always done it because Mm. there's no benefit to me because I've I can do it this way. I know my airport. But when you show people, not only do you get to answer your question, you also get this nice bell or this nice whistle or this extra bit, then that's when you get people really excited. And the early adopters can really represent the team and say, oh, no, look, you could do it this way and this way. And, you know, we really rely on that that people, people dealing with people engagement for the change management aspect because BIM isn't just a data set to us. It is brand new processes. It mm. is a brand new way of working and we've got the technical standards and documents there. We work through with you, but we also have the benefit of the broader BIM experience to really help facilitate the outcomes we want. And it means that obviously all your, your different business units would then take benefit from different pieces of that information. So that's kind of packaging it specifically so that they get benefits and like. And that's how we grow and we've grown our data. So we did the airside visualisation for the workplace health and safety. But last year during COVID, we had another need to do visualisation around the entertainment and shopping precinct up at Skygate. But because we'd already had the runs on the board, the property team were able to say, yes, we will spend money and we will go and get something like this that we need to solve the problem. And all of that's coming from engineeringly accurate data. So that means it can be reused um, 
And that's the most important thing. So for every dollar that we invest, we we get the payoff again and again and again. Um, and a big part of that will be our 2025 master plan, which is our federal regulation for what is happening at the airport. So our last master plan came out in 2020 um, and then every five years all airports must do this. Um, so we will be putting BIM data, GIS and visualisation data front and centre of that master planning experience. Having your existing assets already essentially digitised and captured, it, it, it makes the process of expansion and understanding how that can work in 3D space so much easier, I think, and compared to uh, other major assets that are still living in the in the dinosaur era, where where they might be relying on in, in, inaccurate data, or you know, essentially the the old school adage of uh, here are the design drawings, and we don't actually have as con- well the as constructed says this, but you know, it doesn't actually match what's there. And that was basically the crux of going to the board in financial year 15 and saying we would like you to invest in the future because if we do not start financial year 16, we will not keep pace with the world's best practices and very similar to any evolving technology, the sooner you start, the less that that transition between current way of working and future way of working, you know, it's it's uh, kind of consolidated down. So we were very fortunate to start when we did. We have our five-year strategy behind us. We've had the – so we're in year seven, so each financial year. This is financial year seven of the project. And even in the financial year six, which was the introductory phase, very heavily impacted by COVID, because the business was able to go back and use our digital information as a technology enabler, we actually found new and different ways of working because instead of going external, we had to do it all inside, like in-house ourselves to answer the questions that the business was asking us. Now, I got majorly distracted from my other questions and I, and it's because I think that the challenge is, is that with, with something as big as, as Brisbane Airport, there's so many different facets we could talk about. But I think that Tying it back, I guess, to kind of the, the the terminals and and the idea. At this point in time, you've you've run a, a couple of pilots or several pilots in the actual terminals themselves. But I guess one that I'm really interested in that we talked about earlier was a regarding the benefits of um, you know we, we touched on body scanners and and that's obviously going to be a design process in itself and a, and a really nice complex problem for someone to have in terms of trying to understand how they can retrofit because it's essentially you've got to put all this stuff in while the airport's functioning because it's a functioning airport all the time. But I'm interested to talk about how having a digital model in place and using the concepts of laser scanning of existing assets, the process that was utilised for your air conditioning replacement project in terms of how that function worked and, and the steps they kind of went through. So right now the strategy is done. So we acknowledge that all projects happening inside the terminals are BIM projects. So at the beginning of the project you will get a BIM model, your BIM model, your project information model. You'll get our technical standards 
you will bring a BIM manager to the table, we'll bring a BIM manager to the table um, and they will work with each of the project managers to deliver the BIM gates through each of the project phases. We started with baggage handling upgrade and then we did a Northern Concourse expansion and we had a um, project manager self-nominate to do the first of the laser scanning before we did a plant room replacement. So we weren't replacing all the equipment in the plant room. We were just replacing key components of it. And again, so why was BIM selected on that project? Well, first of all, we had a project manager who was keen to do it. Even now all it's required, but then it was self-nominated. We had a lot of stakeholders. So once you start moving people and equipment between land side and air side, you have to engage with a lot of stakeholders and you have to go through a lot of extra security protocols because of the equipment you're moving in. Mm-hmm. And plant rooms inside terminals are small, pokey, dark spaces that are tight and congested. So there was a lot of hardware that was remaining and there was a lot of hardware that needed to be retrofitted into. So they were able to do the scanning, model it up, and the models were excellent, and then we were able to give that to all the stakeholders to show them exactly what was happening. And those stakeholders weren't just the construction people, they were the workplace health and safety people. Uh, for the time sequencing of when we were moving equipment in, when we needed to use large equipment in, that had to go in at 2 o'clock in the morning. So things like that. So a 3D model... Um, from a laser scan, everybody thinks 80% of this will just be used for construction. But I actually find that that's not true at all. It's 20% of it that's used for construction, but 80% of it is used for stakeholder management, engagements, about all the things that make a BIM powerful, your time, your costs, your workplace health and safety layout. Not for, We didn't use sustainability on that one, but on the Northern Concourse expansion, we did run some sustainability uh, and environmental because we had west-facing windows that were coming in. So what is the impact of air conditioning on west-facing windows? And like essentially by a window, I mean a glass wall. So the BIM model to answer all these odd questions um, you know, it's just so much more important when you are an asset owner because you have to engage with the people who are already in the building and then also engage with the people who are coming in. I would hate – I, I, I do work with um, some clients that work within the airport sector and the complexities that are involved in it and I can imagine that providing visualisation to, you know, security teams and the like to just explain them this is what's going to actually happen – it would it would the red tape you have to go through normally is extensive because of the safety and passenger safety and the like and it, I'm hoping that from that it's just like it doesn't break the barrier down completely but what it does is it means that the process of communicating what's actually going to occur makes it so much clearer to all the stakeholders and just it makes the whole process a lot easier it is and these stakeholders include the Queensland rail So we have a rail line that they own and operate and that has safety protocols around it that we need to... uh, Maintain, yeah. Yeah, and and show to other people what their safety envelope is, you know, and that's something that's hard to explain on a piece of paper but really easy in a 3D model. Um, We have an Energex easement that um, has our, you know, our high voltage ring going through it. So with our automall, we needed to engage with Energex to say, look, this is where the automall will be. This is your easement. Let's talk about, you know, 
the safety protocols and by bringing it all into a BIM model, it's not only engineering accurate so they can say, well, what is the distance between A and B from here to there and things like that. They're also able to say to their bosses, well, you know, this is what it will look like. So it's a bit of a carrot and a stick. So BIM by its nature is an is a change management tool because if you're using BIM, you are changing your way of working. And that's both the carrot and the stick depending on your point of view um, who, from that conversation. Who, who you're talking to. <laughs> but once you introduce new processes, once you introduce new data, then people get these expectations of being able to see the answers to these really complicated questions. And again, going back, if they can self-serve, that's even better. But for the five-year strategy, the biggest challenge for BIM was the change management journey. Before COVID, our CapEx projects was over half a billion dollars. So, and that was just for, you know, the next few years that's been impacted by COVID. But big projects, big space, complicated things happening and a lot of things happening out, out, out at the airport. Before we close out, and I know this is always the hardest question to ask anyone and, and have it recorded because I know a lot of people like talking about good news stories, you know. Have there been any valuable lessons that have been learnt along the journey that, you know, I know people kind of don't like talking about airing their dirty laundry, I guess we'd say, but are there any kind of lessons that you've learned along the way? So the key thing to remember, you're on the asset owner's front uh, and, and that's the experience that you bring to the table. So from the asset owner's perspective, has there been any lessons that you learned, dry gullies you've gone up that you've, you kind of feel you've, you, well, you know, I'm not, we're not going to go here again? Not necessarily any dry gullies because COVID basically became <laughs> a dry gully for us. But I would say the change management of people. So we were really fortunate that we had the political support for BIM and for BIM to bring change and significant change to BAC staff members and project members and principal contractors. So the biggest challenge I think was just showing people four or five years ago the value of BIM. So that was I mean, we were a large, a much larger team then, you know, pre-COVID. So that was really interesting because like any group of people, some people were really keen for it, some people were indifferent, some people wanted to push back on it. The advantage of BAC was we had so many different projects running that we could just really pilot and then move into. So when people would say, I don't I don't think it will work on my project. We could point to one that here's one we prepared earlier. Hands down, the buy-in of having people seeing the value of BIM was one of the biggest challenges. Unlike GIS, which was pretty much people were very familiar with GIS, it does what it says on the tin and it doesn't come with process change or document change. It's such it's such the lower hanging fruit. But the BIM changing the process, changing the conversations about way the ways the way we could talk about the design of um, the project so upfront and so early was really critical. So change, yeah. If you're involved with BIM, then you're an agent of change and I think that that needs to be acknowledged more. 
And I think that's the reason why we've got this podcast in place, to be honest with you. It, and it's 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 the most acknowledged fact, I think, that bringing people along on the journey and understanding the challenges and, and, and the, the significant benefits that they can achieve from it and trying to take it away from a technical communication of saying, well, this is the this is all the nuts and bolts that go into it. It's about presenting the final products and the solutions to it. So I think from this discussion, I think hopefully people can go away, recognise that there's more to it than just asset maintenance because that's what you're doing primarily, but there's other key things that complex assets can bring to uh, the, the, the picture when you have multiple different stakeholders and needing to try and deliver value to all of those different stakeholders where they're along the supply chain internally and externally. But Greta, thank you very much for your time sitting down with me today. It's been a lot of fun uh, talking with you and, and hearing and sharing your stories that, that of, of how Brisbane Airport Corporation has essentially kind of transformed internally in its business to capture this information and the benefits that it's receiving. Now I have one final question for you, and this is the one that I ask all of my guests. What does BIM mean to you? So what does BIM mean to you, Nathan? <laughs> no, don't say that. This turns it around. I've already answered this question, but this question for me is always about better information management, but we're not interviewing me today. Come on. <laughs> what does BIM mean to me? It's such a complicated question, but if you – I'm going to answer it from the 50,000-foot view – it doesn't just change data. If you think about the evolution of our telephones, first they were in our houses, then they were in our cars, then we could text and email on them and take photographs and now we live our entire lives on them. And that didn't take that long to happen. And what I see is when I first arrived in the industry four years ago, the conversation was about a building information model is a data set that is related to a single building. And that conversation has changed every year to grow into such a broader conversation about why use BIM on projects, why projects that use BIM are more successful, run smoother, have less variations, are just a better project methodology. And I think that that's really interesting. So what BIM means to me is BIM isn't data. It is a new way of managing assets and building assets. I think that was very eloquently put. So apart from turning it on me in the first instance, <laughs> <laughs> that, that turned out okay in the end. No, I think that's it's 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 nice to hear that that's the approach. And I wouldn't I wouldn't underestimate yourself in saying you've been in the industry for only four years. You you do come from other sectors that have influenced your knowledge base to actually enable you to add substantial value to the Brisbane Airport Corporation team. Thank you. From that. So thanks once again for your time today, Greta. So for more information on Greta and the Brisbane Airport Corporation, please head over to the podcast section on the SKEWED website for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast with you in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. Digital transition.